You know, I'm, I'm thinking of all of you at the Bolingbrook campus and at 95th and at Wheaton and at Hobson. Love all of you and praying that God would just reach out during this message, get a hold of your heart and impact you in undeniable ways. Praying that for myself as well. Let me start by uh, telling you about a little double date, or I'm sorry, uh, father-daughter date I had with my 19-year-old daughter. She's a Cub fan, and I thought, how fun would it be for just the two of us to go to a game down at Wrigley? So I got tickets for a night game, and I, I told Jora, why don't you pick a place in the Wrigleyville area, and we'll go out to dinner before the game? She said, can I pick any place to eat? And I'm like, any place. Now, I was worried she was going to you know, cost too much money, but it didn't turn out that way. She picked this quaint little diner, and as we approached it, I thought, oh, this will be fun. And she said, Dad, before we go in, i got to warn you about something. I'm like, okay. She said, this is a vegan restaurant. My daughter's been increasingly getting into the vegan diet these days. And she clarified for me again. She goes, that means not only no meat, Dad, but no dairy, no eggs. I'm like, you're kidding me. What do they serve? Salads, you know? And she's like, oh, no, you'll, you'll be delighted. And so I came in and I, you know, with a lot of fear, looked at the menu and then was delighted. I saw a Reuben sandwich and a milkshake. And so here's a picture of what I ordered at that restaurant. I mean, it looks good, doesn't it? I'm like, wow, look at that Reuben. I'm suddenly not feeling and that milkshake. Don't be deceived, my friends. <laughs> they may call that a milkshake. It may look like a milkshake. That is not a milkshake. That ain't no Reuben. I'm telling you, I, I know what corned beef is. And this, this is like, uh, I don't know, beans or vegetables mashed and some pressed into some form and then sliced to trick you and to look like real meat. And see the cheese? That ain't cheese. I don't know what it is, but it ain't cheese. And milk? There's no milk in the milkshake. It's soybeans. And whipped cream? No cream. I mean... I looked at it, and, and I'm like, oh, I got excited. My hunger is growing, and I chomped into that. No! I'm like, what? A... Now Jorah is like, this is delicious. And I'm like, girl, you've gone so long without meat, you forgot what it tastes like, because that is terrible, horrible. And it reminds me of a spiritual problem that we got. Our world is filled with counterfeits. Our world is filled with shiny things that promise to satisfy the hunger of the human soul. And people buy in. People look and they say, oh, I want that. If I had that, oh, I would be so satisfied. What do, what do we look to? We, we look to money and we say, oh, if I were rich, or if I had that house, or if I could buy some more stuff. Or we look to relationships. Oh, if I had that person, if we, you know, if there was sexual opportunity there, I would just be so happy. We look to career success. We look to recreation and hobbies. We look to vacations and adventures. We look to prestige and popularity. And the truth is, these things, well, they're good things. 
they reflect God. You know, God's the ultimate good, and all that he made is good, and it reflects who he is a bit. But if you turn to those things he made, thinking they will satisfy the hunger of your soul, you will be painfully disappointed because they aren't the real deal. And we were made for the real deal, which is God himself. We were made to be satisfied with relationship, with friendship, with Almighty God. In fact, today's message is entitled, A New Satisfaction. Because those who love God, remember, maybe you don't remember because you weren't here last week. Let me just tell you, this series, Chain Reaction, is all about this domino effect, how one thing can bring about so many changes in our lives. And the one thing is love for God. That's the first domino to fall. We, we at the Compass Church, we are all about love for God. Remember our mission statement, to love him more, so more love him. And, and a critic might say, why are you so into affection for the Lord? Do you think that's all involved in the Christian life? No, but we believe it's the first domino to fall. When you fall in love with the Lord, it brings about the most wondrous chain reaction of, of stuff impacted in your life. The subtitle is called, How Loving God Changes Everything. Last week's title, do you remember, it was called, A New Love. And we discovered that when we fall in love with God, we get another love. That new love is a love for your neighbor, a love for people. And the more we love God, the more we love people. Similarly, the more we love God, the more the things of this world that we used to be chasing after, that we used to think would satisfy, we don't care about them like we used to. Increasingly, God, friendship with him, has become the all-consuming desire of our hearts, and we believe to the core of our being that he and he alone will satisfy who we we're meant to be in the hunger that's been burning in us our whole lives. You know, we're going to learn about this new satisfaction from David, King David from the Old Testament. And you talk about a guy who did the first domino fall in his life, a love for God. <laughs> David adored God. We, we know that in part because of the book of Psalms. In the middle of our Bible is this rather large book comprised of poetry and prayer journal entries, and most of them come from David. We have this unique window into David's heart through the Psalms. And sure enough, as you begin to read David's Psalms, you realize this man was consumed with love for God. And as a result of his love for God, he had a new satisfaction. David believed that what he needed was God himself. It's kind of curious in David's case because David had access to all the other shiny things in the world. As the king, he was the richest man in the land. He had physical possessions and palaces in abundance. David had beautiful wives and sexual opportunity. David had power and prestige. He was a rock star, the hero. And David said, phooey. And all of it, what I need is God himself. We're going to take a look at one of my favorite psalms. Psalm 63, the whole psalm is just fantastic. Uh, I wish we had time to study all of it. We don't, so I encourage you, study, maybe memorize all of Psalm 63. But we're going to look at the first five verses and kind of phrase by phrase really move through them. And so let me start by reading. If, if you're uh, 
wanting to read along, I would encourage you to grab a Bible in the seat back. You'll find this psalm on page 572. 572. Verse 1 begins this way. David says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. In fact, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary, and I've beheld your power and your glory. And because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I'm going to praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I'll lift up my hands. And I will be fully satisfied. There's that satisfaction. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. All right. What I see here are six marks of a person who is convinced that God is the one that they long for. That the satisfaction of their soul is found in friendship and relational connection to God. What does that person look like? Well, here are six characteristics of them. The first is covenant. Let's uh, put the word covenant here. And that comes right out of this first phrase. You, God, David says, are my God. The word my, this is a possessive pronoun. Usually we use my, well, with stuff that belongs to us, like my phone, my house. But with people, it doesn't really work that way. With people, and with God, we don't own God. What, what this is really referring to is a covenantal relationship. It's a similar use, like we would say, with my wife or my husband, or my son, or my daughter. But the point being, we don't own people, but those people, we have entered into a covenant relationship with them. We are so connected to them that we use the term my. He's not just, David would say, a God or the God. He is my God. And friends, I got to tell you, if you want to experience satisfaction in God, you've got to get in the covenant relationship. Jesus Christ came to planet Earth to provide you the opportunity to be in a covenant relationship with him. Do you realize that? Jesus came, God in human flesh, taking our sin on his shoulder, going to the cross to die in our place. Once our sin has been paid for through his death, we are invited as a free gift to enter into a covenant relationship with God. And I just have to say it, if you haven't done that yet, you're not going to experience satisfaction with God. That's like the first step. He's got to be your God. Can you say my God? Friends, uh, if, if you haven't done that, I just have to challenge you. That is the single most important step in all of life. Nothing else matters like getting right with your creator. And so I would challenge before this day ends, find a place where you can get alone, turn to God and say, Jesus came to offer this covenant relationship with you. I want it. Jesus, please forgive my sin. And Jesus, take my life, lead me. I want to be with you forever. And in that moment, though you don't deserve it, though your life is still a mess, God forgives and brings you in. So that's step one, the most important step. He's got to be your God. All right, what's next? David says, earnestly, I seek you. I, I call this pursuit, seeking him. 
In fact, the, the first of our four priorities, you know, we, at the Compass Church, we say, man, if you want to grow spiritually, you got to do all four. Pursue, connect, serve, reach. Pursue, connect, serve, reach. Pursue is pursue him daily. That, that's finding time each day to seek the face of God, to connect with God through talking to him, through prayer, through hearing from him, through Bible reading, maybe worshiping him in song. And, and that's what David's referring to when he says, earnestly, I seek you. This is David getting alone to pursue God, to seek, to connect with God in these ways. And David went about it, what? Earnestly. I love that. You know, it's, there's a passion in his pursuit. If, you're, if a physical trainer were to critique your workout plan, they'd say, oh, you're going at it half-heartedly, no pain, no gain, come on, you got to go at it. And similarly, spiritually, God's given us these exercises by which we can grow spiritually and know him. And he would say, man, go at it earnestly, not half-heartedly. I have been very convicted about a lack of earnestness these days in my seeking of the Lord. There's some earnestness, but not enough. It needs to grow. And my conviction has been in part fueled by this book. I'm reading, uh, rereading, the biography of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a missionary who actually died at 28 back in the 50s. Uh, on the mission field. He was a martyr. He died in serving the Lord. Quite a story. But this biography talks more about, than about his courageous death. It talks about his whole life, written by his wife, Elizabeth Elliot. Both Elizabeth and Jim went to Wheaton College, same college I went to. And I remember reading this biography the first time when I was a freshman at Wheaton College. And it's so funny now, you know, 30 years rereading what I read back then. I remember back then I, I looked up to Jim Elliott as this wise upperclassman, if you will, you know. And, and now I'm like punk kid, you know. There are journal entries and I'm like, what am I, I'm reading the journal entry of a 21-year-old punk kid. What am I going to learn from him? Lots. In fact, I would just tell you that sometimes the young people uh, have a fire and a love for Christ that if we older people have the humility to watch and learn, they can inspire us. And he, this young kid, is inspiring me in great ways. As a young man, Jim Elliott sought the Lord with an earnestness that blows me away. He would get up uh, at his dorm at Wheaton College before everybody else, you know, in order to have an extended time of Bible study and prayer. That's earnestly seeking him. Then I discovered he would return to his dorm at lunchtime in order to grab another 15 minutes with the Lord around noon. And then at night, before he went to bed, he'd have his third time. I'm, I'm doing well if I get one. And he's having three a day. I'm like, wow. I, I see Jim's earnestness in how he talks about Bible study. In these journal entries that his wife included in his biography, Jim will say, uh, this morning, I struggled to drink the benefit out of the word. He said, I had to dig deep before I found what my soul needed. And I'm like, dig deep? So many of us, you know, we read it and we're like, 
Well, that's confusing. Don't know what that means. Oh, well. And, you know, we're done. But Jim was like, no, no, Lord, you wrote that for a reason. What are you trying to say to me, God? He would meditate on it. He would turn to commentaries, which are scholars providing help with the verse. Uh, you know, today we could go online and, and find resources that help us understand. And, and he wouldn't give up until he had heard from God out of the book. Dug with earnestness. His earnestness is found in prayer. In some of his journal entries, he would say, uh, at first I did not feel the Lord's nearness in prayer, but I concentrated on his promise until I tasted of his love. Concentrated? Well, it sounds like work. Yeah, earnestly seeking the Lord. And sometimes we give up on prayer and go, oh, well, don't feel the Lord. feel like that prayer bounced off the ceiling. Oh, well. Now Jim Elliott said, I'm not giving up, Lord. I'm not giving up until I have you. I need you. I need to connect with you. And so I will focus my mind and intentionally filter out distraction so I can zero in on talking with you. Wow. Friends, are you earnest in your seeking of the Lord. Those who are convinced that only God satisfies have an earnestness about them, a pursuit. So covenant relationship, earnest pursuit. Let's go to the next. I thirst for you. My whole body, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no what I use the word desire. One of the characteristics of those who have become convinced that only God will satisfy the craving of their soul is spiritual desire. Now let me comment about this. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. There's actually two meanings to that phrase. There's the literal desert and there's the spiritual desert. David is actually in a literal desert. There's a little preface to Psalm 63 that tells us he was probably leading his men at war. David was a military king who brought his men out into the desert to fight quite a bit. That's probably the context. But it's not just a spiritual or a physical desert he's referring to, but also a spiritual desert. I know that because the thirst he's talking about is not a physical thirst. It's a spiritual thirst. David is saying that this land I live in, it's a wasteland. As far as the satisfaction of my soul, it's a dry and weary land. Nothing satisfies the human soul but you, God. I thirst for you. I love how David doesn't want the good circumstances and the good things that God can bring. He thirsts for God himself. David is not like most Christians. Most Christians are, well, gold diggers. You know what a gold digger? Here, I'll show you what a gold digger is. Here's a picture of uh, J. Marshall Wilbur. No, I got that wrong. Uh, J. Howard Marshall. He's a billionaire oil tycoon, 90 years old at the time of his marriage to Anna Nicole Simpson. And she was 26 at the time. And just in love. No, she was not in love. She was marrying him for his money, obviously, right? And there was a relationship where she wasn't interested in the person, but what the person could give her. 
And a lot of Christians, most Christians, that's how it is with God. We come to God saying, Lord, I got these needs and these desires and I'm turning to you because I was hoping out of your love and power you might bless me. And that's okay at first to come to him for that reason. But friends, as you mature in Christ, there must be a shift where we say, what I desire, what I thirst for is you, not your gifts. You can keep your gifts. I want you. That's my heart's desire. And that's where David was. In fact, David says, I am burning with desire. Some people think that desire for God, when when they feel this consuming desire, that it's a bad thing. I've actually had folks say, I'm so frustrated. God feels distant and I am so hungry to experience him. I am like, fantastic. They're like, wait, don't you understand? I am yearning for what I don't have. I go, I know, but you're yearning. You know, most people don't have any desire. God's distant and they're okay with that. But your desire is a bold testament that you understand what you were made for and what was made to satisfy your soul. It's been said that desire is the bridge that brings us to encounter with God. Desire must come first. And so when I see burning desire, I celebrate that as a great win. And so I just would ask you, Do you have desire? Are you consumed with a longing to know God better, to experience him more, to hear his voice, to enjoy his company, to connect with him relationally? I'm I'm moved by Jim Elliott's uh, comments on this. He would identify at times, I'd read this in his journal, he'd say, I am lacking the fire of desire. And so he'd pray, Lord, I want to want you. Have you ever prayed that? I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made thirsty. I don't don't have the want yet, but I want the want. And sometimes that's the best prayer to pray. Light me on fire with desire, God. Give me this convinced status that this world is a dry and barren land and that the only water that I was made for, that I need, is to know my maker and king and savior. I thirst for you. I'm praying that our church would increasingly become a place of greater and greater desire for God. Desire. All right, let's go to verse 2. In verse 2, let's highlight uh, these first two lines. I'm going to call this the mark of history. You've got a history with the Lord. You've got moments in your past where you and God have connected in such a profound way. Look at David describing this moment of past connection with God. He said, I've seen you in the sanctuary, and I beheld your power and your glory. The the sanctuary is... uh, the tabernacle. In David's days, remembering back to when he was in Jerusalem and when he had gone to the tabernacle to worship God. And David's fondly recording, oh Lord, do you remember? Remember that day when I went to the sanctuary and I I beheld you? David didn't literally see God, but sometimes the eyes of our soul can become aware of God's nearness. And God, though invisible, is so real to us. That's what David's recalling. He said, Lord, on that day, I beheld 
your power. Oh, God, remember? Suddenly I realized how big and strong you were. My knees were knocking as I trembled before you. And I beheld your glory. You may recall glory means God's beauty. It's, it's his love and goodness and holiness on display. Lord, on that day, my mind was just full of an awareness of how incredible you are. Oh, that day, God, I remember it. Friends, our memory of past encounters with God is a great gift, something to be treasured. Because those memories fuel desire in the present and earnestly seeking him in the present. When you can look back and say, oh, I remember what I had and I want it again. I want more than that. So I would just ask you, do you treasure those memories of connection with God? I I, I have got my old Bibles, really old, you know, with my notes when I was a young man in the margin. I like to go back and read those notes or old prayer journals. I like to go back to the places I used to meet with God years ago. Those memories flood my mind and they rekindle a desire because I've tasted what it can be like and I want it again. Some of you may say, I I got no memories of connection with God. Well, let's make some memories, shall we? Let's pursue him today so that you can relate to what David's describing and that is, oh, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. History. All right, what's next? I call this conviction. Those who are convinced that satisfaction in life is found in friendship with God, they they arrive eventually at this deep and guiding conviction. What's the conviction? It's this conviction. That his love is better than life. Oh, my Friends, that single phrase is enough to hold on to all week and meditate on again and again. Your love, David says, is better than life. It's as if David could say, if you added all of life, all the good things in life, and you put them all together and put them on one side of the scale, your love, boom, it is better than everything else altogether. David saying, now, Lord, I've tasted your love. I've, I've experienced an awareness of your affection for me, your smile looking at me, you saying, I'm your boy. And David would tell you, when you know God loves you, nothing else matters. If other people hate you, so what? God adores me. If you're failing at your work, so what? I am treasured by the Almighty God. If, if hardship and Bad circumstances and rainy days come. So what? God adores me. Friends, when you're living in the tangible awareness of God's unending affection for you, when you've tasted that, it's better than life. And David knew that. David believed that. David lived according to that conviction. Do you believe that? Well, there's one more. Going now to... Verse 3, as it continues, he says, My lips will glorify you. This is all praise-related. You'll see I put the word praise there. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. That is in worship. Praise is the highest level of connection with God. 
What is praise? Praise is when we express to God in song. We normally think of praise as song, but it can be in prayer. You can praise God in prayer too. Praise is when you express to God, either in prayer or song, your delight in who he is. And when it comes to connecting with God, there's no higher way to connect with him than celebrating him. A lot of people connect with God. They talk with God about themselves. They say, hey, Lord, let's talk about me. And I got a problem, and I got an opportunity, and what do you think, Lord, about this or that? And it's all about yourself. Now, it's not bad to connect with God about yourself. That's a good thing. It's not the best thing. The best thing is to connect with God about him, about seeing the goodness in him so much that it fills your heart with a joy that must be expressed. And when you're like, Lord, let's just celebrate you and how incredible you are, that praise, that finding joy in who God is, that is the pinnacle of human existence. When the creature finds joy in the creator. It's what we were made for. Friends, have you tasted of the joy, the ecstatic joy of praise? I, I'll share just a bit about how it's taking form in my life these days. I am so grateful for our worship teams at all four campuses of our church. They minister to me. They, they bring these songs. I'll be like, oh, that song. Sometimes as we worship corporately, I'll have a song that just grabs me. It, it says it. I mean, I, I just feel the presence in, of God, and those words put uh, expression to the cry of my heart. I, I don't know if you do this. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, I need that song, and I heard that. That's a great song, and I'll, I'll write it down, and I'll later Google the title or a lyric, and I'll find it, and I'll buy it, and I'll listen to it in my car. And some of my car praise times have been amazing. They'll sneak up on me sometimes. I'll just be driving along, and all of a sudden this song just fills the car. I have been known to crank the volume so loud to disturb cars next to me, and I will just, in those moments, feel God invading the car. And like David says, I behold his power and his glory, not visibly, but I sense him there. And my heart just wants to explode with delight in him in those moments. I've had sometimes where I pull into the driveway and I don't want to get out of the car. I just sit there and let the car run and let this moment live on because this is life at its best. When you're connecting with your heavenly father and feeling his love and seeing his glory and rejoicing in him, that's what the human heart was made for. Friends, David culminates this with praise. And what is the result of all of this? Let's highlight this last phrase. I love it. David says, I will be fully satisfied as with what? The richest of foods. It's really interesting. The Hebrew, two Hebrew words that are translated richest of foods. Uh, There's a uh, Old Testament There's a translation of our Bible called the King James. It's old now. But it translates more literally, and it says, I will be satisfied as with fatness and marrow, which is just gross. Uh, But when you understand what it's referring to, what, what, what those words are actually referring to is a sizzling, juicy steak. Vegans, take note. The Lord says... 
The Lord says that the, he's, he, he's speaking through David. You know, these are inspired words. If you want to understand the satisfaction of what it brings to the soul to know God, the best illustration is not a vegan meal. It is a juicy steak. You know, back in June, I, I turned 50 years old. My parents were out of town during my birthday. And so uh, they had a belated celebration. They invited uh, Jen and I, just a double date, mom and dad and my wife and I, out to dinner. My dad said, I'm taking you to Ruth's Chris. Have you ever been to that place? Oh, my. I was so hungry. My wife and I had a light lunch knowing that this glorious dinner was coming. So I'm just, my, as we drive there, my stomach's going, well, I ordered this steak, and this server brought a plate, and she's like, don't touch the plate. It's red hot. And I looked, and sure enough, there's butter, surround, not vegan butter, real dairy butter sizzling on this hot plate with this glorious steak in the middle. And I cut into it, and the smell, and hollandaise sauce, and oh, my. And by the time I was done, I was just in heaven. And God said, that's what I'm talking about. God says, that's what I do for the human soul. Your soul is hungry, and it's hungry for me, God says. And when you taste the glory of deep and profound connection through love and friendship with the Almighty God, you will have found what you've been looking for all your life you will have found life at its best. Friends, my prayer for you is that increasingly you would thirst and long and desire hunger for God, that you would seek him with earnestness, that you would see his power and his glory and taste of his love, which is better than life, and that you would be satisfied as with the richest of foods. Can we pray? Father, I thank you for David and for the transparency, for the window into his art that we see in this particular psalm. And Lord, I long for all of my friends to live Psalm 63, for that not to be cool words, but for that to be a mirror of what they're experiencing. And so God, with my friends, give them a desire like they've never known a desire for you. Consume them, Lord with a need to feel your presence, to enjoy your love, to hear your voice, to live in companionship with their God. Please, God, make all of us, make the Compass Church just a place of people who are increasingly on fire for more of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends.